Hey, good morning. Oh, so glad you're here. Welcome home. Um, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Ephesians 3, that's where you want to be. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you like to turn there. Um, just hold your thumb there. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to use one, look under the seat in front of you. Uh, there may be one there. If you don't own one, that's yours to keep as our free gift. Hey, um, did you see little Mercy Williams dancing and, and ooh, ooh, man, that's the message. Let's remember how to love God. And when do we get so uptight in church? That's beautiful. The kids are teaching us, man. That's great. So glad you're here. Um, today, as Ryan said, we're kicking off the gospel experiment. And um, this may be the most important and transforming series that we've ever done during my um, going on five years here at Bethany. Um, ex- I, I didn't do very well in, in science. You say, Tom, say it isn't so. It is so. Um, but I got this. That experiment basically is try this and see what happens. So um, the gospel experiment, what we want to do, whether we're followers of Jesus Christ or we're just checking out the faith, um, is, is come and, and, and experience this and go through this through Easter and use the supplemental materials and come with a heart that is open. And we just have this attitude, this heart attitude that says, Jesus I want to surrender to everything you press on my heart during this time so that I might delve into and experience the fullest, to the fullest extent as I'd never have before, the beauty uh, and transforming power of your gospel. Um, I will guarantee you that if we will do those things, we will know Jesus Christ in a way that we have never known him. We will see the power of the gospel working in us and through us, in our marriages, in our families, in our work relationships, in our friendships, in our finances, in every blessed way. And, and I so, I so want that for me. I so want that for you. And I'm so convinced that, that God is going to do this. And, and we're talking about the gospel of love. It's a great place to start. It's really the only place to start. The gospel of love. If we only knew, if we only knew how much God loves us, it would change everything. It would change everything. Knowing And knowing experientially, being able to receive and experience the full love of God would change everything in our lives. And that's what, that's what this whole experience is, is about. And it's, uh, it's what this morning in particular is about. If we could know, and beyond that, just not know intellectually, but know heart-wise and experientially the love of God, it would solve the vast majority of problems and struggles that we deal with in our lives. If we only knew. Now, if, you, if you're a, like uh, a diehard Broncos fan, I don't know if it'll fix that problem. You need more than that. Um, God bless you. We'll just pray. Um, the message of is the, love, the loving gospel. That's where we're starting. And I would say, of the people who are here, of those of us who believe there is a God, I would say we probably shake out into three general camps. One, God loves me. Two, God is indifferent to me. Or three, with the stuff I've done, God could never love me. God hates me. And wherever you fall out, this is, 
This is for you. And, and, and I want to, to speak specifically right now to the people who, who say, God loves me, and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I know this. I know you know it. I know you know it. But I think I have this burden on my heart as I spend time in Scripture and in prayer that all of us, all of us, uh, are just scratching the surface of the depth of God's love, our knowledge of it, and our experience of it. I get the feeling that we're like drinking it out of a sippy cup rather than being overwhelmed by our life being surrounded by the infinite ocean of God's love and, and it saturating and penetrating everything, every thought, every... There's so much more. There's so much more for all of us. So that's what this... That's why I'm so excited. Um, I want to, throughout this morning, kind of focus. This is the issue. The issue is not trying to get God to love us. He already does. The issue is getting ourselves to the point where we can open ourselves to experience and receive the love of God that he already extends. Okay? The issue is not trying to get him to love us. It's opening ourselves up to experience and receive the great measure of love that he is already extending to every single one of us. Okay, now I have this friend, Dave, that I've known for many years. I love him. He lives in San Antonio. He's a Christian songwriter. And he wrote this one song that I think captures the heart cry of, of nearly everyone I have ever met, and, and myself too. And it's called Unloved. And a portion of the lyrics go like this. Unloved. I don't want to go Unloved. I can't live my life unloved. And I would imagine, I would wager that that cuts to the heart of many of you because you spent a, a good deal of your life desperately seeking for someone, a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, um, a, a spouse, a, a parent, to love you, to love you deeply, to love you in a bulletproof, shatterproof, I'm not going anywhere, quality and quantity of love that you need. And, and you've had experience after experience after experience of, of in return of that searching being unloved, unwanted, betrayed, disappointed. And, and that can do one of two things to us. One, it can say, I must be unlovable. And so I would have a very hard time then believing or receiving a God who says he loves me infinitely. Or, or it can say, Jesus is the only one. Jesus Christ is the only one who can love me with this depth, with this quality, with this quantity that can fill my heart hunger and so I will run to him and into his arms repeatedly again and again and again because I want this love that takes an eternity to really understand and, and appreciate and enjoy, which is exactly what he offers us. And that's what, that's what I pray that it will do to us. The gospel, the good news, it all begins with God's love. It all begins with God's love. It's rooted and anchored in God's love. That's the only place to start, but you never guess that if you hung around with a lot of people uh, who, who yell on street corners and seem to have an almost joy out of pointing out 
other people's sins. Rather than rooting the message in God's love, God's word roots the message in his love. Let's look at it in John 3.16. I know you're in Ephesians 3. Stay there. We're going to put it up. If you know one Bible verse at all, you've probably heard this one. This is a a compilation of the gospel, John 3.16. And each of the next six weeks, we're going to be focusing on one element of this verse and and others. So so here we go. I'd ask you, please, if you could read it with me out loud. Uh, Let's go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. All right. So we're going to look at those first six words, for God so loved the world. You see, it's rooted and anchored. The gospel has its seeds, has its heart wrapped up in the great love of God, for God so loved the world. That could mean, though, if you look at that, for God so loved the world, that could mean any number of things. What does really God so loved the world really really mean? Does it mean that God created the planet and everything that's in it, the mountains, the oceans, the trees, the lions, the tigers, the bears, oh my, the people. And he loved it all, and he saw it broken and lost, and he sent Jesus to redeem it all. Is that what it means? Well, <coughs> yes, kind of. But in a deeper sense, it means more than that. This particular verse means more than that. Does for God so loved the world means that God is into this kind of squishy, general kind of group love thing for all, but he really only loves the best people. Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Kesha, you get the idea. <coughs> um, is that what he means when he says God so loves the world? He has this general fondness, but really he's just into the people who make him the happiest. It's like I say I love eggplant parmesan. When I say I love eggplant parmesan, what I really mean is I love my mother's eggplant parmesan. My mom, Virginia Rosalie Batoni Burgraff. The Burgraff is German. That's it. Everything else is Italian. This little Italian woman who makes eggplant parmesan that will make you forget your first name. I am convinced. No, it will. I am convinced she could put an end to the tensions in Afghanistan if she could just make enough eggplant. Can you picture it? First, we're going to bomb the embassy. And then, oh, what is this? This is wonderful. What are we fighting about? Apparently, the people bombing the embassies are Italians. I, and I might express it right. When Tommy, our son, who's a senior in college, when he was in high school, his friends would literally almost break into our house the night that she was visiting and making her eggplant. So when I say, I love eggplant parmesan, I really mean I love my mother's and anything else that reminds me of that. I'll eat any, but I don't love it. Is that what God means? I love everybody kind of generally, but really just the top, the A-listers, the varsity team. No. It means everyone. Get this. It means you. It means you. He loves you. God loves you so absurdly much 
that try as I might. And I can't unpack that. I can't unpack that for you. I can't unpack that in my heart. All we can do is cry out and say, God, this love is so much bigger than I understand or experience. Give me the grace to know it. It's so incredible. It's so incredible that if we could get it, if we could get it, it would just transform everything. Now, I'm not making this up. I'm not. I'm not. It's in God's Word, Ephesians 3. Let's turn there. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. Paul, the apostle, is writing. He's praying through his pen, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's praying for for his readers. That's you. That's me. Verse 17, so that Christ, so that Jesus might dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, that's you, that's me, being rooted and grounded in love, that's the love of the gospel. That's the love of God, being rooted and grounded in that may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know, and that word is experientially know, experientially know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, let's just pause there. He wants you to know that which is beyond knowledge. That's the definition of mind-blowing, that you would know deep, wide, high love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What Paul is saying is I want your mind and your heart to be blown away by the knowledge and experience of the universe-sized vastness of the love of God through Jesus Christ for you. And don't even try to find the limits of it because you can't. It's like space. You just keep going and going and going. And his love is still there. And some of you have tried to find the limits and you're convinced you have. And I got news for you. It's great news you haven't. He's still loving you. He's still loving you. So what does this look like? What is this ginormous, incredible, transforming, boundless love of God for you through Christ look like? God loves you so much. God loves you so much. He loves you more than you have ever been loved. He loves you more than you have ever loved anything. Parents, if you're a parent, more than you have ever loved one of your children. Spouses, more than you have ever loved your husband, more than you have ever loved your wife, more than you have ever loved your boyfriend, more than you have ever loved your girlfriend, more than you've ever loved your calling or vocation. Men, I'm going to boil it down for you. More than you've ever loved beef, beer, and your remote control combined. All right. We just, I want, I want you to understand it. God loves you more than your dog loves you. And it's a shame when we come up with good examples of of unconditional love, we got to go to an animal rather than another person, right? God has boundless affection, affection for you. He sees you right now as beautiful. He sees you right now as his precious one, as his beloved. God loves you so much that everything that concerns you about your life is more of a concern to him than it is to you. He loves you. He loves you. He pours out 
his lavish love on you in such great measure continuously. And get this, all of us who are in human love relationships, we have a tendency to think, if he really knew me, if she really knew me, to the level of knowing the things that I hide, like secretly really loving Justin Bieber, or um, my brokenness, my pain, my dysfunction, my past, what goes on in my heart that nobody sees, but I'm in, I don't even want to face it. If he really knew me, if she really knew me, there's no way she would ever love me. He would ever love me. Get this. God knows that and far more that we're not even aware of. And he still loves you personally and passionately beyond description, beyond time, beyond sin, beyond imagination, beyond conception. It's incredible how God loves you. He loves you continuously right here, right now, exactly as you are. God loves you now exactly as you are. But he loves us too much to want us to stay exactly as we are. See, his love draws us like a magnet. It seduces us in the best sense of the word to draw closer to him, to draw closer to the cross, closer to Jesus Christ, to open ourselves more and more to the infinite love that God already has for us so that he can transform our hearts once and continually into the people that he created us to be in the likeness of his son, Jesus So he loves you right here, right now, exactly as you are. So if you're here thinking, God hates me because he couldn't know my past and all the things that I've done, all the things I've said, all the things I've felt, all the things that have been done hurtful to me, there's no way he could love me. Yes, yes, there is. He knows and he does. We are more broken than we feared. And we are more loved than we ever imagined. Those two things go together. They do. And can you see now how foolish it is for some religious people who go about their lives trying to do more and do this and do that to try to earn the love of God? Trying to earn that which is a free gift that he extends to us. And I think I'm going to go to five more Bible studies on Tuesday because maybe God will love me. God already loves you. Now, if he's calling you to do five Bible studies on Tuesday which I doubt, but if he is, do it. But do it because he loves you, not so that he'll love you. It's a world apart. It's a world apart. Get this, the creator of the universe loves you personally and passionately. Live like it. Let's live like it. Let's rejoice like it. Let's not worry like it. Let's hope like it. Let's... I was 17 years old, and this is Sheree. And, and she wasn't as beautiful as she just gets more beautiful. And at 17, she first told me that she loved me. She loved me. Four years later, we got married. It, it, I'm a slow learner. Um, but that day was so incredible. The one person that I really wanted to love me loved Me, I walked around with a stupid grin on my face for months. The 
creator of the universe, all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing God loves you. We should be walking around with a stupid grin on our face for all eternity. It's that great. He loves you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given your heart to him, if you've received him as Lord and Savior, you're a child of the king. Live like it. Live in the light of his love. What can touch you? What can touch you? Financial difficulty? Hey, God loves me. Health problems? God loves me. Direction for your future? God loves me. Relationship issues, marriage issues, whatever you got, God loves me. It can transform everything. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, well, you're so welcome here. You are. We're so, you know, this is a great time to be checking him out during the series, checking out a deeper relationship or a relationship for the first time. But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, why? Why would you want to go one more day without opening yourself up to receiving and experiencing in a deep and true way the infinite love of the God who is crazy about you. That's what drew me to him when I was 16 years old. Um, I grew up a very religious kid. I was in church all the time. I grew up Catholic. I used to train the altar boys. And I knew the ins, the outs, when to ring, when to do. I, you know, I did it. I went to daily mass because... I figured if I did enough right things and not enough wrong things, that God would be happy with me and I'd be on the good side of the curve. I got to know some people, principally this one lady who was a a youth worker. Her name was Debbie Jones. And she told me that it's not about those religious activities. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And he already had this infinite, crazy love for me that I had not received, had not opened my heart to, because I didn't know him. And in my heart, I said, um, if God loves me, if there's more of him to have, if, if I could actually know him, then I want that. I don't want to go on without that, unloved. I want him as my Lord. I want him as my Savior. I want him as the love of my life. And she led me in a prayer of opening my heart, of surrendering my life. And he rushed in with such an unexplainable love that I think I just wept for like two hours in a beautiful way. And we got back to, uh, together as a big group later on, and I was still just, just pouring tears. And all I could say was, it's true. It's true. He's real, and he loves me. And now, what I want to do is convince those who follow him and those who don't how much he loves you. It's true, and it's beyond anything you can imagine. And the holiest of us is just scratching the surface. So how do we know God loves us? What's the, what's the proof? Romans 5.8. Let's turn there. <clears throat> Romans 5.8. See, if you knew ahead of time, you could get your stuff and do the sticky things like I do, but you don't. So 
Go to the left a little bit. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Here we go. How do we know? It says this, but God shows his love for us because love that is not demonstrated, right, is, is, is not real love in our lives or, or with God, right? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we know. That's how we know. Jesus Christ is the way we know. When we were at our worst, Christ loved us the best. God loved us the best. When we were at our worst, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were at our worst, God loved us the best. God loves his enemies, and thank God he does, right? Or else none of us would be around because at one time we were all his enemies, right? I mean, if he didn't, we'd all be, what, smooshed uh, dragonflies on the windshield of his Godmobile, presuming he has one. If he wants one, he's got one. But he loves his enemies, right? And when we're not in Christ, we're behaving as if we're his enemies, and he loves us the best. We know it through Jesus Christ. We know it through his cross. When we were at our worst, God loved us the best. When we were rejecting God, ignoring God, offending God, God loved us infinitely. And he did it by sending his son Jesus, who is God with skin on, in the flesh, fully God, fully man, to come and live the life we couldn't live and to die the death on the cross that we all deserved, and then to rise again so that we could have forgiveness and new life in him both now and forever. And he did that to wash away our sins. And knowing that, that when we were at our worst, God loved us the best, then those of us who have hearts that have been transformed by the gospel love of Christ, that are continually being transformed by the gospel love of Christ, need to love differently, right? So if we're married, when our husband or our wife starts being ugly to us or acting unloving, when our friends or our boyfriend or our girlfriend starts acting mean to us and unloving and spiteful and hateful. And when our co-workers start um, turning their backs on us or backbiting or gossiping or, or backstabbing or whatever it is, we don't cut off our love from them. If our hearts have been transformed by the gospel, that's when we step it up. That's when we turn up the volume of our love. That's when we love extravagantly because that's the way of Christ. When we were at our worst, Christ loved us the best. And um, God started this. God started this. We need to take a look at that. 1 John 4.10. I'll, uh, I'll read it to you. and Ryan will put it up on the screen. In this is love. This is the definition of love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son. He sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, we're going to get to that word propitiation a little bit later. I know you use it continuously, but um, we're going to talk about that. What I want you to see here is that God started it. We didn't, any of us, wake up one morning and say, Marge, you know what? I think I'm just going to start loving God today. No, that's not how it started. 
Every drop of love or affection we have for God is only in response to the fact that he's been showering and pouring on our love for us. It's in response to his love. He started it. He initiates it. And he draws us in like a magnet to himself by his indescribable love, which he has created in us a deep heart hunger for. He has given us this deep heart hunger, longing, desire, insatiable from everything but him, desire to love him, right? So we tend, here's what happens. We feel this heart hunger for the love of God, which he wants to be satisfied only by him. But what we tend to do, followers of Jesus Christ and those who don't follow him at all tend to do is to address that heart hunger, to satiate that, to make those hunger pangs go away. And we do that with good and bad things. We kind of self-medicate that heart hunger. We feed it with things other than God. Um, maybe it's your work. Maybe, maybe it's your family. Maybe it's recreation. You love hunting. You love Look, that, that does it for me. That fills me. That, oh, I'm going to go skiing. I'm going to do mountain bike. Now, none of that stuff that I've just talked about is bad, but it doesn't address the heart hunger, right? And some of us do it in, in, with food or sex or shopping for shoes. Um, I, I, I just realized I hadn't gestured in this way in a while. I was, that wasn't for you, sweetie. I love you. Or, or accumulating things, or religious activity, or you name it, partying, alcohol, drugs, whatever. Whatever we can get to that will dull the, the pangs of heart hunger that we have for the love of God. And so what these things, good and bad, become then are God's substitutes because that heart hunger was only designed by him for him. And it might, we laughed a little bit about it, but that's a very serious thing that the Bible calls idolatry. Those things become idols because we use them as substitutes for God. And it's so subtle. And all of us tend to do it. The heart has been called an idol factory. <laughs> We tend in our flesh to look for anything but the, the real thing. And so God has created that heart hunger in us to be filled only with his love. Back to what I said in the beginning. The issue is not that we have to get God to love us. It's that he already does, and we have to fully receive it to experience that incredible love that he's already extending to us. So in light of that, we tend to go in two different directions. We tend to say either, well, if God loves me that much, then I must be pretty darn lovable. I must be all that, right? Really? Really? And, and some of you have a harder time with this than others, and, and you know who you are. Um, this is really leaving the tracks because... If we really believe that, maybe we're reading that Facebook app 
today God wants you to know a little bit too much, right? You're, you're, you're just so lovable. God, of course, of course he loves you. Really? God's love is so much more powerful than just being able to love the lovely or the cute or the lovable. It's so much bigger than that. God loves us in spite of the fact that in our hearts, the parts we hide, the parts we don't even want to admit to, in our thoughts, in our inner life, we know how wrecked and unlovely and unlovable we are. He loves us in spite of that. He loves us even though that is part of who we are. Not because we're lovable or cute or lovely, but in spite of the fact that we're not. And if we were really all that, then we wouldn't be wrestling with a lot of the self-loathing and cutting and dysfunctions and depression and despair that we so often deal with, which are not good responses. So a very tempting thing is to say, God loves me. I must be so lovable. I must be exactly the... No, we're not. He loves me in spite of the fact that I'm not, that I'm not. That's how great it is. That's how great he is. And so, as I said, we're more wrecked than we ever feared and more loved than we ever imagined. And that, he is transforming us. He sees me through the blood of Christ as perfect, as his boy, as his love. And he's turning me into that. He's turning you into that. The other way we could go is if God loves me so much, how come I can't feel it? Well, first of all, Whether or not we can feel God's love or not doesn't determine whether God actually loves us. That's his decision, and he's already made it, and you can't change it. He loves you, does love you, has loved you, will love you, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have called you by name, and you are mine. He has made his mind up. But on a deeper level, why I can't feel it is this. The reason we don't experience the incredible love of God all the time is because of sin. It's because of sin. And while nothing can stop God, we can't sin enough to stop God from loving us. Nothing we do can make God love us less. Nothing we do can make God love us more. The sin in our lives doesn't stop the overflow of living under the waterfall of God's love. What it does is stop us from being able to receive and experience that love inside our hearts, which are being satisfied with things that are going to destroy us and offend him. So we've got to get rid of sin. We've got to get rid of sin so that we continue, can continuously receive and experience the incredible love of God that he already has for us. We have to get free. And only Christ can do that for us. And that leads us to our last point, and then we'll close. How are we doing? Oh, goodness. Well, you're patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. Thank you. <clears throat> Um, this last point is something that I'll just throw out there and then we'll unpack it. It's not what you expect, uh, probably, and I, I don't mean to offend you. It's just the truth. Here it is. We can't fully understand the depths of God's love unless we also understand God's wrath. What? We can't 
fully understand the depths of God's love unless we also understand God's wrath. Well, that sounds, that sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. I promise I'm not making it up. Look at the scripture. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. We're going to look at propitiation. That is a loaded word. That is a loaded word. And what it basically means, essentially, propitiation is satisfying the wrath of God. Now, you can go to church all your life and maybe never hear about the wrath of God. I mean, after all, it's not a great way to draw a crowd. But it is real, and it is true. And if we love him, and we love his word, and I love you, we got to talk about it. And to understand the depths of his love, we have to understand his wrath. Because the Word of God does say that God is love. God's character is love. He's wrapped up. He, all His character is, is, is wrapped up in love and that is so much a part. And God is love. But God is not only love, as Joel Osteen might try to convince you. God is also holy and righteous and just. And, and so God hates sin. Sin is that which is other than him. It is, it is offensive to him. It is dis- and, and here's the principal reason that he really hates it is because it destroys the people that he loves the most. It creates distance between him and people when he wants closeness. And, 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 and what sin does is it, it doesn't stop God from loving us. It gives us relational separation, if you will right? Stops us from receiving. He hates it. And on one level, he hates those who commit it. In all of that love, everything we've talked about is all true, but his word is also, he, he's holy and righteous and just, and he can't abide sin. And so in his justice, he has to punish it. And, and guess what that includes? Me and you and all of us. If we've ever done anything wrong, thought, felt, done anything, we deserve, according to the word of God, the wages for sin, for all sin, big, small, however we define it, right? We have our, we have our sins that we like to beat up on, but God says, you break one, you broke them all. So all of us are in this boat. And all of us, this is the brutal truth, according to God's word, deserve to be beaten, punished, tortured, rejected, and killed. You don't hear that very often. But that's the truth of God. And so, in God's justice, that must happen. And in God's incredible love, he stood up and said, I love you too much to pour that out on you. And so, he diverted it. He must, in his righteousness, holiness, and justice, have wrath upon sin. And so he diverted it on his son, Jesus Christ, the holy, blameless, sinless one who came and allowed himself to be punished and broken and tortured and rejected and beaten and killed. For you and for me. It's as if 
we've committed this crime. And we go into the courthouse before the judge. And the judge says, you must receive the death penalty. And then the judge stands and takes off his robe and walks around and says, I want you to go free. I'll pay it for you. And then he goes off to the chamber. That's the love of God for you. We can't understand the depth of the love of God until we also understand his wrath, our brokenness, and his desire to love us in unexplainable ways in spite of it. God loves you infinitely, infinitely, the best of us, the holiest of us. I've only just scratched the surface. It's not trying to get God to love you more. He can't. It's infinite. But the ball's in our court now. Do we open our hearts to empty ourselves of sin, to be washed clean, whether for the first time or the first time in a long time, or just this continual outpouring, and receive and experience the incredible love of God for us that can change everything. Balls in your court. I plead with you as I plead with my own heart. Say yes.